You're listening to Clarification on Springfield's Talk 1041. Hey everybody, it's Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. Welcome to another episode. We have a special guest, a returning guest, Mr. Wolf from London. We're going to break down the news from across the pond. How are you today, my friend? Very well, and you? Doing well, doing well. I appreciate you uh, doing the show. I know it's a little difficult. We've got the time lapse and we don't you know, yeah. we here in the Ozarks don't understand how to uh, do international phone calls, but we figured it out. Sarah, the producer, did, <laughs> did good today. So, no you know, there's so many obvious things to talk to you about. You have a uh, you have a, a bar, a re- restaurant, coffee shop in London, right? I do. Yes. And the, the obvious thing that comes to me from the news that I've seen lately is just the protests that are going on. Can you give us an update? We have a lot of protests anyway, usually, but now there's quite a lot of um, issues in regards to what's allowed and what's not allowed um, in regards. And that, that seems to be getting skewed uh, where you've got interactions between the government and the police force argumenting about what should be allowed and what not. So, for example, where you had the... Um, pro-Palestinian um, movement where fights were done and things where it's allowed. Right. Um, and then we had, um, I can't remember what the other one was, just Britain something first, um, where there was a lot of aggression that was allowed. And so it's all, it's all over the place in that regard. Um, and then, of course, there's the whole argument in regards to we've, we've changed our laws quite a bit in regards to protesting where uh, it used to be easier, but now there's more um, nuance nuance in it. For example, if you're a nuisance or um, people are offended or things like that, the police now has powers to break it up and disperse things where they didn't have that in the past, where there was more element of freedom of speech Mm. um, involved. Um, so yeah, it's just the same same story over so and over. Let, let's dig into that a little bit because I've seen some pretty disturbing trends in in UK and Canada, our neighbor to the north. It yeah. seems like the police are able to basically they'll police the speech that isn't progressive. Like what Tommy Robinson didn't he get into a run in a yes, couple of days yeah. ago? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, so, what, yeah. what is that that I, I I'm not going to go into this story, but I literally had a phone call from a Canadian detective because mm-hmm. I had said something to a Canadian cis, uh, citizen online that he, oh, yeah. he found threatening or harassing. So, I mean, I think I think America's. Still, even with the censorship, we have a little bit more freedom of speech. It, you know, like, give me a sense of what the police are cracking down on. Are you saying they allow the pro-Palestinian speech, but if it's the other direction, they have a problem with it? I mean, what what's the dichotomy there? Well, that's the thing. It's all of those things, and it's it's also it's it's a focus on on. Um, anything that isn't really crime, but more to do in regards to uh, opinions, views, um, and those things. And just on your comment in regards to 
you guys having a bit more freedom. I just think you're you're starting a bit further back. Yeah. In regards to this journey, so there's a bit more that needs to happen in regards to law changes, implementations, and those things to to get to this point. But the the natural trajectory of this across the world seems to be. Um, more control, uh, more um, rules, implementations. I mean, everything from the implementation to digital currencies, which the Reserve Bank rules, to um, what information we allow to to comment on or not. All of those things are just becoming harder and harder. Um, right. Which is the thing. So, in in regards to police, yeah, obviously they're focusing on the wrong things. I mean, I. I on the previous podcast, I was telling you about um, the shoplifter that, that took like a thousand pounds of wine from me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, she's still not arrested. And this week, or last week, Thursday, when I walked out here, out of here, uh, she was sitting across the steep street eating a sausage roll, um, looking uh. at my place. And um, I can't do anything about it still. And and I had a mail a couple of weeks ago from the police saying that, yeah, um, this, I still haven't responded on uh, making a statement about it and stuff, which I have. So administration-wise, I, I mean, I've been talking to the police now for six months, still haven't done the statement aspect to it. Um, I phoned them numerous times when I see them, when I see the actual criminal, um, did a complaint to my MP, my minister. So yeah. our, we, our ministers uh, oversee certain areas. Um, just got a response back from him like two months afterwards saying, yeah, the police are not responding, which is not true. So I responded back with all the evidence that my, how I am communicating to them. Silence, I haven't had a response back from my MP again. And so it continues. And I mean, in the scheme of things, when you're actually busy doing stuff, working, participating in society and things like that, this whole bureaucracy around arresting someone who you know, see, given the address, has video footage of become so tedious that never happens and just disappears um, yeah. with time. And then if you say something wrong online and stuff, before you know it, your door gets kicked out. Um, I mean, a good example of it is when when we were in COVID, um, our businesses were shut down completely. So we, are, we are not only have the restaurant, but we also have a beauty salon. And um, you have we, a, I'm sorry, I didn't catch you. You have a restaurant. What, what was the other thing? A hair and beauty salon. Oh, gotcha. A salon. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when, when we were shut down in COVID, we, were, we had to ramp up selling things online, our products and stuff. Right. So at that stage, um, my wife was coming in every day um, with our little boy um, and just packing, packing products and stuff to send out. Uh, to customers for online orders. Mm -hmm. And we got reported by a neighbor for driving away from our home every day. Oh. And I had the police visit me at 11 o'clock at night. At 11 o'clock at night, they were knocking on my door, oh. waking up the whole house. And I had to give a whole explanation on why that is. And then while we were in the salon doing that, in total, we had 39 visits from the police where we were reported. Oh, my um, God. And it, and, and it was such a running joke. They would come in in the morning and we would have coffee with them, um, just go through it, and then, then they'll leave again. But they had to come out because of the reports. So if you think about it, those examples on how easy it was for the police to come to my house really intrusively, 
asked questions um, trying to to investigate you get a person who's taken a thousand pounds of wine where you've got video footage of them you've got an address of them they're still in the area every day you can, I can literally arrest them um, I've had like 10 or 12 chances for that um, and yet that doesn't happen or anything happens to, and that shows you how the whole system is just collapsing into the wrong direction completely it is and i definitely want to get into uh just some of the the news as far as the system goes in the elections both in argentina and the dutch election i definitely want to get into that we've got about a minute left set our listeners up the last time we were going to do this you couldn't do the show because you were actually speaking at parliament just give hmm. us the the summary what was the topic and then when we come back from the break we'll go into it a little more in depth yeah, sure, no worries. Um, so I'm part of a, um, a APPG, which is an old parliamentary group against um, specific issues. And the issues we're dealing with is a thing called the loan charge. And the loan charge is a rule that was implemented in 2017 to tax the victims of um, avoidance schemes that were implemented and not the promoters. And because of that, uh, 100,000 people are facing bankruptcy and um, 13 have already taken their lives and we've had 30 official attempts. Um, so it's quite a significant issue. Um, wow. Yeah, we can, we can delve into the detail of that. It's, it's quite a horrific um, thing that happens. So I'll, I'll explain all the details. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, let's definitely do that. When we come back from the other side, you're listening to Clarification. I'm your host, James Clare. We'll be back in just a second. Perfect. Clarification. I'm James Clary. Welcome back. We've got our friend, Mr. Wolf from London, who owns Wolfie's Bar. And is it just Wolfie's Bar? Is Wolfie's Bar and Coffee Shop? Yes, yes. It's, uh, well, it's, it's just called Wolfie's Bar. Right. Um, okay. But it, it is it is a play on words. So it's actually... It's, it's your son's name, right? Coffee. Yes, yeah. We um, we built it for him originally, and we call him Wolf. His name is Wolf, but we call him Wolfie. It's our, it's our love language name for him. Yeah, I got and, you. Um, we wanted to build something for him. And that's why also in the middle of the board is this giant giraffe. And the reason for that is his favorite animal is a giraffe. So we put him in a giraffe. <laughs> that's <chair>. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, and I, I love the video of you and your wife. But for, before we get into that, I do want to talk about your specific business, how things are going in London, what your plans are. But you were telling us about the loan charge. So this is... Is this? Let me see if I understand this right. In the UK, they add up your outstanding loans, and then they tax them as income in one year. Is that how it works? Yes. So, th well, this is very specific. So, the simplest way to explain this is: if you work here as a, let's say, contractor or temporary worker, you work for an agency, right? Mm -hmm. So, most of these agencies use schemes where they didn't uh, implement or take your tax right, but they charge you fees and stuff which equated to that, so you would never know. So the amount of people that are hit by this are from drivers to IT consultants to engineers, so you name it, have been involved in these types of agencies, 100,000 people. Wow. And 
what they did is they tried to recoup that tax by implementing a retrospective law. So it's a law that um, they implemented in 2017, but went back all the way to, well, it was to 2002, but it changed a little bit from there. So the, the simplest way to explain this is if you have a, if you've got a traffic limitation where you can only drive 50 miles an hour and you drive 50 miles an hour every, every day for a couple of years, and all of a sudden they make it 20 miles an hour and then you get all these fines coming through the post, which is, well, oh, on all wow. of these days back in the past, you drove 50. So we're fining you for this. But not only that, because it's so far in the future now, we're going to charge interest on it. We're going to put penalties on this. Um, and we're going to all throw in the same tax here so that you charge, you get the maximum um, you fall in the maximum bracket for this. Wow. Um, and we're going to do it that you need to pay this all in 30 days. We're not going to give you any any um, availability to pay. So this has happened with over 100,000 people because of that. And the original scheme operators or the promoters of these schemes are long gone. They, they've closed up their businesses or they haven't even pursued that at all. I mean, one of the scheme operators... I won't say the name because he keeps on hitting you with libel cases. Right. Um, but but um, he's a multi-billionaire. He's made his money out of it, and his wife has been involved in the PPE scandal we had over here where they, they got a $200 million contract for uh, PPE equipment oh, for a right. company that that was incorporated after they even received the contract. So not even a company that was uh, something that did this. Mm. Um, but in essence... There's a fight going over uh, APPG to get um, the government to change tack and the policy and to get HM Revenue to actually see reason. And that's where I went to talk uh, last week. I got Because the implications of this is very dire. If you can imagine, if you have to pay back more than what you've earned in a year in income um, in tax, because that's with all the fines and everything, it's more tax than what you earned. Yeah, oh, that's so insane. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's an absolute crazy policy. Yeah. And it's caused so much havoc. I mean, 13 or 10, 10 people have lost their lives because of this. Um, there was another 13 or so attempts on this. Um, it's, it's horrible. It's horrific. And then the thing is, of course, if you end up going bankrupt because of it, losing your house, losing your family, because a lot of relationships and stuff collapse because of this. Sure. Um, the, you, you can't you can't earn income. And the worst thing of all is, is that when they started this policy, um, HM Revenue uh, had 54 behavioral psychologists on payroll. And the behavioral psychologist's whole job was just to cause maximum distress for people involved in this so that they pay out or um, oh collapse under it. So, so the letters and stuff were written in a way where, for instance, they would almost allude to that you're a criminal and that you haven't paid your fair share and um, you, you're going to go, you're, you're effectively, um, will, will be, be criminalized because of this. So it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. It's, it's a complete overreach by state and it's, it's done in such a way where it's, just destroying lives, uh, left and right. So, so is it? Is it? Stuff. Seems to me that just to make sure I understand this, that people that perhaps declared certain assets a certain way, 
uh, or they were loans. The government then just, you know, gave them a pass, said, yeah, you're within the law. And then 10 years later said, you know, we, we decided that 10 years ago what you said on your tax forms incorrect. And now you're going to have to pay taxes on it. I mean, it's- yes, but but you also need to add some nuance on that where a lot of the victims didn't even notice. So literally, and, and the sad thing is a lot of the victims actually worked for the NHS and for HM Revenue, actually. And HM Revenue had contractors on, on that also did it this way. And effectively, when they went to the agencies and stuff, these things weren't disclosed. We've just mm-hmm. disclosed this is what you get. We do all the admin, et cetera, for it. And then afterwards, you get hit by this thing. Um, we've got no idea where it's coming from. And then because of how the how badly the law is structured, they not only hit you with um, uh, interest, tax, fines, and things, but they, they're treating it as two different things. So in one, they treat it as income, so they tax you on the income. And then the second thing, they treat it as loans, so they charge you inheritance tax on top of it also. So you get wow. taxed both ways so it's 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 just it's just insanity and and it's a complete example of where we're going to um countrywide and stuff where uh, where we've got to overreach in every aspect from government and litigation and it, it is so absurd it doesn't even make sense and the implications of it it is so dire um and then because the implications are so dire the government actually hires behavioral psychologist to change the narrative and cause a narrative that um, causes maximum distress. That, that's now, the insane yeah. part of this thing, that the government hired somebody so they could make sure that their letters were particularly cruel and disturbing. Yes. Gosh, yes. that's just nuts. Well, we've got, we've got yeah. about four minutes left in this segment. What, what do you see in England? You know, I, I don't know if we'll have time, but you've seen the move to the right in both Argentina and Holland. Is there any kind of similar grounds? Well, of course, you had Theresa May, Boris Johnson, which they didn't turn out quite as good as we thought they would. Uh, yeah. You know, what is the, the feeling among the populace? Is it still a steady move to progressive policies? What, what are your thoughts? Oh, that's, that's such a nuance and big question because yeah. what what government does and what people's views are is completely separated now, separated now. Mm. Um, I mean, pe- people would argue that this government is very far right, but if you look at some of the economic policies or how things are structured, um, it's effectively very left um, in that sense. And then you've you've got all of these weird things coming through. So, like they want to send people to Rwanda. Um, that comes from the boats, but that doesn't really help. So is it really, really something or not? Um, I, I would just say that overall, most people that I engage with in a daily, daily way, um, for all my businesses and, and work and stuff, um, everybody just wants normality, stability. Um, everybody wants to give everybody the ability to just be themselves. Um, and the reality of it is it doesn't really matter anymore if it's left, right, center, or whatever you want to call it. It's overreach. And the overreach of government is causing maximum pain in every aspect of our lives now because the reality of it is that government isn't structured to solve problems. A government is business is to actually have problems 
and expand for that. Why, whenever government gets involved in anything, the problem never gets resolved, it just gets bigger. That's um, true. You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll say there's homelessness, and then uh, after 10 years, you say, well, we're, we're spending like $2 trillion on, on homelessness, now, and now, now we've got like a 1,000% more homeless people. Because the and, nature of government is to grow, and it grows through the problem. And it's bigger. true everywhere. I mean, it's the exa- yes. we have the exact same problems. And I think that's where the reaction to where you'd see a guy uh, like the gentleman in Argentina. I mean, he claims he's an, an anarcho-capitalist. And is, I, I mean, I can't yeah. wait to see if he does even 10% of what he says he's going to do. It could really yeah. be, you know, be a sea change. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, what, I mean, I. Go ahead. I have um, so like I accept Bitcoin and stuff at my at my um, salon and at my um, at Wolfie's bar. And I had uh, a group here called the Bitcoin Collective um, a couple of weeks ago for an event, mm-hmm. and um, so everybody in them are very into cryptocurrencies and stuff. But they all have very specific views in regards to government and overreach and stuff. And all of them are actually now starting to collect passports, like they uh, collect Bitcoin. Really? Um, wherever they, yeah, wherever they can purchase passports, where uh, with money that has got less overreach for government, they are, and they're becoming quite nomadic. So they live, they live in um, what's well, in Puerto Rico for a bit, and they even live in Texas and mm. go everywhere where where there's no overreach of it, trying to just ride the wave. So you're seeing a migration of people leaving the West seeking freedom. That's insane. I I mean, I've got a, I actually do have a very positive view about the world. I do believe we're going to get to a point where we're freer and um, where there's less less overreach. And the reason why I'm saying that is. Wolfie, hold that that thought. We're going into a break. We'll pick that up on the other side. It's clarification. We'll be right back. No worries. Hey, everybody, it's Clarification. That is The Clash, London Calling. I'm your host, James Clary. So, Wolf, on the other side, you you, you said you have some optimism for what's happening yes. in the world. Share that with us. So, I've, I've read this book, um, Daylight Robbery, by, um, uh, what's his name, Dominique? Uh, I can't remember his name. That's all right. Daylight yeah, Robbery yeah. is what it's called? Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, Dominic Frisbee. Uh, sorry, Dominic Frisbee. And um, he's talking about uh, the aspect of competition in the end. And the one thing you do see in the world is there is countries that are uh, grasping it. They, they're grasping what's happening and you're getting e-passports being created and um, villages, tax haven village, villages for nomadic, um, nomadic employees and stuff like that. And what you, you're seeing happening is is that countries are, are starting to, well, it's not yet, there yet, but countries are going to become quite competitive in regards to what they need to offer citizens to be viable and attract them. Mm. So what will happen is in time, everybody that's got a lot of value in regards to knowledge or assets or you name it, will just go to the countries which um, gives them Give them that, and the brain drain will be so quick, uh, especially against history, that other countries will have to start adapting uh, better policies, uh, better systems, and stuff to to stay competitive. And in essence, I think I mentioned a bit before um, to you and offline about 
the amount of business owners I've spoken to in the last month, which stretches from commercial property development to tax lawyers to coffee roasters. And every single person I spoke to is looking at, at either closing shop or leaving the country. And what that means is that if that starts happening, it's going to be so quick and dramatic that if a government doesn't adapt and change the policies that causes that, uh, they'll just lose all the people that's viable that's actually contributing uh, into the country. Mm. So we'll get to a point where where everything across the world will become less in, less invasive, less tax, um, more freedoms, less government, mm. especially if we start pursuing subscription models and things, which we can now. Um, in regards to the services you would uh, you would expect a, a government to provide to you, yeah. Um, so it will get better. the The sad thing is how long will it take? So if you look at a country, for instance, in the UK, which has got some of the oldest embedded um, institutions and systems and stuff like that, it could take a really, really long time. And it could be that by the time it does that, that the the rest of the the countries that's actually adopted and stuff is better places to live by and more viable um, in that regard. And of course, also, you have to think about your own age and stuff like, do I really want to stick around for two decades for that to happen? Right. Or would I want to take my family somewhere else and give them a good quality of life and, and growth and, and, and all of that? And I think that's, that's where the world's heading towards. Um, You've got, you've got some embedded views in regards to the West and, and Asia and, and all of those things, um, which I've got different opinions to anyway in regards to that because of the demographic issues we have across the world at the moment. I think um, you see in the U.S. we actually kind of have that on a micro scale and the fact that we have yeah. 50 independent states. And you look yes. at the exodus from places like California to places like Texas yeah. and Florida and Missouri, our state. You know, we yeah. have a constitutional carry. I can throw my gun in the glove box when I leave in the morning or I can put it in my waistband, hide it, carry it open, whatever I want to do with it. And it's completely legal. I mean, that's yeah. pretty rare anywhere in the world that you can carry a firearm concealed or otherwise. And, uh, yeah. you know, so... I think you're right. And some of that, that particular law was passed kind of as a pushback to the progressive policy. So I do see what you mean. I mean, mm. people are waking up, but you're right. I think in the UK with, you know, your history and traditions that it would take decades and decades for some significant yeah. change. Yes. And it what? And yeah, I mean, what, go, go ahead. What what you just mentioned, if you if you look at what's happening free value that that has been credited, it's significant. Hey, well if we lost you for just a second, say that again. Okay. I say uh, if if you look for instance at uh, what's happening in Texas, mm. um it's becoming very competitive because there's a massive amount of growth and, and wealth being created there because of that influx of people. So that would just accelerate the competitiveness of it all. Yeah, exactly. Now you're you're an immigrant. You're originally from South Africa, and you I moved. Am, yes. Yeah, and you moved to the UK. And you told me offline that biz that you're struggling a bit right now. That business is really tough. Let's get let's yes. get into that a little bit. I mean, over overall, small independence in this country is just being cult by numerous things. Cult by um, the amount of legislation stuff we we need to abide to. 
So as a small independent business owner, it's really difficult to to stay on top of every single legislation they create and, and want to police you on. And then the cost of things in regards to um, taxes and stuff that, that you have to pay in this country is super excessive. And then you don't have any help in regards to things like the massive electricity price spikes and things we had. Mm. Um, so, for example, our electricity used to cost £270 um, uh, a month, which is about $400. Yeah. And then when the whole energy crisis struck, it went up to 3000 which is about $4,000 a month. Yes. And then when that happened, the electricity companies um, came forth because as a commercial business, you can't, you, you can do like um, pay as you go, but that price is so excessive that it would have ended up being $8,000 a month. <sighs> so the only thing they offer you is to lock yourself in for a year on the, on the free $4,000 one. And what happened is electricity prices went down, but we're still paying that, um, that, that locked in fee, right? Now, if you work it out, that means if you sell coffees, you need to sell four or five thousand more coffees a month just to pay that bill. And you're not going to do that. And then, of course, because of disposable income completely disappearing in the UK, not, not tampered down, it's completely disappeared because of our interest rate hikes we had, um, all of a sudden your revenue has gone down. So not only is your cost 10x in, in certain instances, but your revenue is actually less than what it was previously, even even if you've made price increases, which, which we've had to do. But the reality of it is, is if you stayed on top of the costs and what's happening, your price changes would have had to be like twice or triple what it was before right. to cover the cost of things, which you can't do because people won't purchase anything at all then. No. So... Business-wise, it's it's a real struggle, and as independents and small businesses, you you get the worst of it. And the sad reality of it is is that that's also very anti-competitive because your growth in companies actually happens in your small independent small business. It's not your big business that's going to go hundred x. Absolutely. Yeah. So, man, I mean that the utility rates. We've just got a few seconds left, but did that come about? because of or at least partially because of the whole Russian oil thing embargo and that stuff? I mean, did that precipitate it? It did. Um, and it was the main argument why. But this, this, it's always nuanced, right? So yeah. we've got a mechanism where prices get, we've got a price cap that that is put in and the price cap was so excessive that um, it meant that your utility companies made these insane profits um, because they could charge way more. It's just insane. Hold that thought, Wolf. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Clarification. Welcome back. We're talking to our friend Wolf from across the pond. Wolf, we were talking about, you know, as I said to you on break, my heart breaks for you as a person who owned several restaurants for many, many years here. 
uh, I people have asked me why why don't you reopen my namesake restaurant? Well, it's Clary's. I'm like I have no desire to do it, and I try to explain yeah. it to him, and it's exactly what you just said. It's the regulations and the cost of doing business, and it does hit the small guy much more than yeah. the, the chains. You know. So yeah. what is the labor like over there? You were talking about labor a little bit. I mean, do you are you able to get good staff? Yes and no. Um, so we, we had different fluctuations uh, after COVID and Brexit and everything that happened. So mm-hmm. what you used to have is we, we used to have a massive shortcoming of labor when Brexit hit and stuff because you had a lot of um, people from Europe that would used to do these jobs that didn't start doing it. And then when we had this massive amount of closures, because we, we lost 12 restaurants a day, so like 4,500 just in the first quarter of this year. Wow. All of a sudden, you had people that have been doing this for years and years and years um, that lost their jobs, and they've been with the same places for forever. So all of a sudden, you started getting really, really good stuff in it. Yeah. But then, because of the cost of living and how expensive things have become, um, Every person that's not from here, which is the majority of your staff, started asking the questions, you know, why, why am I in London? Why not just go back to Venezuela or wherever Pakistan, I am? Pakistan, right. Same struggle there, live the same way there. So all of them started leaving. So I started losing a lot of my great staff in that regard. Um, and now you have some, but because every time the government, the government keeps on increasing minimum wage, which you can argue, yes, it's it's needed or that amount of money is needed to live in London. But the problem is it's a government's pursuit to outsource um, the issues to the businesses and as small independent businesses, it's becoming really, really expensive. So if I have, for instance, two staff on board, it means I'm burning 30, 35 pounds an hour just on those staff, which means I need to, you know, sell at least, 20, 20 coffees in a, in a type of, and sometimes we, we only sell like 40 coffees the whole day. Right. So the, the cost of them has become really excessive with it. And then you, you can argument in regards to quality and stuff, but I would say in regards to my restaurant, I've got a much younger crowd there, which has got a different way of working and thinking about things, which is really difficult to navigate also. Mm. Um, so it's really, really tedious and, and difficult to, to get your staffing right. And then, of course, you're, you, f- you catch the brunt of it, right? So you, you get the reviews which says, like, the staff is rude or I hate them and stuff. No matter, it is never seen or understood that you as a business owner work 100 hours a week in yeah. every aspect of your life and involved in this. And you've put everything you had into finding the right beans and the right product and the yeah. right combination of things and, and all the love and, and and time and efforts and get the branding right and environment right and all of those things. I mean, if you, if you go look at our stuff, you'll see the amount of love we've put in to how we built the place and right. how it looks and how comfortable it is and our products and, and all of that. But that, that of course, is missed. Um, one bad coffee or, or one staff member that, that's not... Um, not greeted them well or anything of sorts, you get a, a two-page review on, on how you're the most horrible person in the world. Yeah, you um, know, it <laughs> used to be said that, I mean, I was brought up in the business, started in 1974, my first professional uh, cooking job. But anyway, I most of my career 
if you had great food and great service, you're going to succeed. That is totally, I would say for at least the last 15 years, that is not true anymore. I've seen restaurants with exceptional food, exceptional service still go out of business. Yeah. It's just too much to cost and and it's it's just too much, many things. And if you look at, for instance, you do need some regulation, obviously, because I'm going to kill people if you don't. But if you look at how intense the regulation is, for example, you could employ a person just to sit and do lists all day, checking boxes, because in essence, whether the work is done or not is not what we what gets measured, what gets measured is do you have evidence of it? Right. So you can, you can, for instance, clean, let's say you, you clean your oven every single day um, to a very high degree and you've got a really busy um, Saturday and you can, didn't get to it and the next day a health inspector walks in. If you don't have evidence that you've cleaned your oven every single day for that week and they see that oven for one day, they'll mark you as like you've never cleaned your oven before. Right. Um, so the, the stress of that's quite quite hectic. So you do need a system in place where you actually um, check the boxes and capture the the things. So like for me, because of my background being in in processes and banking originally, I've I've made that very electronic and automated. So I've got like an online checking list, and they take pictures and it's saved in the cloud and stuff. So I have all of these things on hand. <laughs> whenever it happens. But a lot of restaurants still do paper-based systems where they tick boxes and, and, and sign it off and things like that. Yeah, but people, so, yeah, you know, customers, people have no idea at the minutia of regulations we have to follow, like temp charts and, yeah. you know, expiration dates. I mean, we, and here's, I just want to get your thoughts on this, Wolf. I've thought about this. I'm like, how is it possible that we have these just, just this umbrella of regulations that's ridiculous. Well, every year, those people that work in the health department have to get paid. And so they mm. sit around, they have to justify their job. So what do they do? They write new regulations every year. If, you, if, they, if any of our customers, either in Springfield, Missouri, or London, read the code, they, they'd shake their head and say, this is impossible. Don't you think? Yeah. It is. I mean, you've got st- stupid things like you do. You need like three different mop heads: right. one for the kitchen, one for the bathroom, one for the main area. Right. And then you need four different, um, four different handle holders for your mirror chef, where you put the food in, because the yeah. one is for vegetarian, one is for meat, one is for thing. Never mind that the thing that goes on top of it, the actual. Um, it's it's like a, this heat shield plate with cover a, a tray in it. Yeah, doesn't t- doesn't touch it. It's like completely separate thing. Right. Yet you need to have like four different things, and then you need to store all of these things and have it in places so it doesn't get confusing. And you need to mark it in a way that it does. And then you have a busy day, and the inspector will walk in, and someone would use the wrong color knife or the wrong uh, the wrong plate, and all of a sudden you get downgraded, and it, it, the implication is cost and issues and you name it it's it's, it's never ending yeah and then and, and then here i don't know if they do that there but if a restaurant gets you know significantly bad scores they publish it in the newspaper and it's like a news yeah. story yes and, yeah, and pe- people do that, don't yeah. realize that many of these marks these bad scores are idiotic rules like we want to hear is expiration dates you know and they my health inspector said you have to put it on everything i'm like look 
Vinegar doesn't need an expiration date. If it turns, it'll take a year and a half to five years. I mean, it's just, it's maddening, brother. We've only got four, four and a half minutes left. What are your plans for the future? How do you feel like you can turn this deal around, man? Well, the reality of it is for you to be competitive in a sport, you need to be big. um, Because that's where you get the the savings and costs and the savings in regards to what Mm. gets offered to you from your charges and stuff. So I'm I'm actually trying to expand. Wow. um, So that I can get my my environment and culture better. And I'm doing it in 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 an innovative, interesting way. So I'm doing a membership at Wolfies where... And I'm doing the membership through a thing called the NFT. And mm. what happens is if you purchase that thing, you get real-life utility, meaning if you own one, um, it links up to my POS system and you get 10% off um, of all food and drink. And if you own two, you get 15. And if you own three, you get 20. And if you own four, you get 30% off. But I'm also sending you like real physical things, uh, like a, a T-shirt, a branded T-shirt and a branded hoodie and a branded top and then i'm also doing some cool unique ones so if you for instance get the wolf or the mayor of wolf well you get 100 percent of food and drink for as long as you hold that membership wow and it's random so it's ten thousand of them so it could be anyone that gets that one and then i'm going to do another one because we we brew our own beer um so i'm going to sit with you and develop your own beer with your own branding and everything i'm going to sell that in wolfies and i'm going to send you like 120 beers every three months for as long as you hold it and i'm going to do the same thing with coffee and then once i open up my new branch which i'm trying to do in london bridge i'm going to take 10 percent of the revenue generated from that put an escrow and i'm going to do a quarterly party just for the membership holders where all food and drink is going to be for free um, and then because we pursue everything in reality, so like everything we do at Wolfie's and the Blue Mango Salon, our, our two businesses are family-oriented. Mm. Um, and, you, you know, like we mentioned previously, that Wolfie's actually meant off my son and the giraffe is his favorite animal. Yeah. But we're going to do stuff. We, we're trying to do things like the art of the NFT relates to us and the actual real environment. So the art's actually a wolf um, which relates to me, um, a she-wolf, which is my wife, a uh, wolf cup, which is my son, and then my English bulldog is digitized and my Persian cat is digitized. <laughs> on there. I love it. I love it. And then the backgrounds is all the actual wolfy space that we've put in there. Um, so the whole idea is just to make it, make it something that's, that's real and physical and you can actually know that this is this is from a real thing. It's from a real place, a real 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 everything. And what my thoughts is about expansion is because one of our core values is community. Because if you think about spaces like the salon and the restaurant, it doesn't actually it doesn't actually pursue selling food and drink or, or, or doing nails. It actually pursues community building, physical yes. spaces where people interact with each other. Exactly. So at Wolfies, for instance, we host all community events for free. We we built the whole thing from our Mavon coffee machine to our space to be something where the staff can interact with people in a human way. Um, so they encourage encouraged and taught how to to talk to people, engage with people, because that's a lot of the times why people are there. I mean, if you if you look at Wolfie's, my back row is always full of people working from their laptops, and sometimes they talk to each other, and other times they don't. But if you talk to them, ask them, oh, why are you why are you here? Why are you not at home? Yeah, but it all comes back to they don't want to be lonely. They don't want to sit right. at home, not have people. 
So even they just even if you don't talk to people, at, lo- at least you're among people. Well, if we've got and 30 seconds left, is there anything, are you selling merchandise? Is there anything we can do from over here? Well, you can, you can just, um, my website links everything up. And if anybody wants to do the membership, the NFT, it's going to launch the 15th of December. Um, it's all on my website. So I mean, awesome. people can just interact there. And if anybody's yeah. traveling to the UK, any of our listeners, you know where you're going to have Dinner Wolf. It's always a pleasure, my friend. We will talk again soon. It's clarification. We'll see you next week.